strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Education is a big topic for me. Uh, many of you have heard my story. I uh, was not a very good student at high school. I wanted to grow up. I wanted to work. And I, I, so I really didn't take high school seriously. Fortunately for me, I had a very good set of skills that I learned when I was young. I could read, perform math skills. I just wasn't interested. So at 18 years old, I got lucky and went into a trade, which served me well. I ended up a business owner in the trades. I never was a day without a job from when I was 18 until I went into this career here with when I didn't request being unemployed. Never, ever. Now, that's quite an accomplishment for anyone, but for someone barely with a high school education. So I relate very well to the CTEDs, the Career Technical Education Districts. Specifically, I've developed a really good relationship with the people at EVIT, the East Valley Institute of Technology. Their superintendent, Chad Wilson, joins me now. Uh, Chad, thanks for coming on. Mr. Broomhead, thank you for having us on. We very much appreciate the opportunity. Let's talk about, first of all, when when I got to know you, I thought I knew a lot about trades and certainly about schools they call trade schools, but about schools like yours. Your outcomes are remarkable in the percentage of students that graduate from your programs and leave there with certificates of completion. They really are, Mike, and I think one of the things that we're most proud of is our outcomes. Uh, when you look at the success students have in CTEDs, not just at EVA, but across the state of Arizona, they're far more likely to graduate from high school, far more likely to have post-secondary success, whether that's matriculating into college and a university or going straight to the workforce. In fact, at EVA, we have 90% of our students who actually graduate from high school, and if that statistic is, if you know what the graduation rate is across the state, that's a pretty impressive statistic. Um, of that 98%, uh, we have 66% that pursue post secondary learning opportunities. And the interesting thing about that 66% is that 50% of those students are actually working in the field that they earn their industry certification while they're going to college. And so we're so happy that there's so many on-ramps and off-ramps that CTE can provide students, whether it's straight into the workforce, which our, our state desperately needs, or whether it's an opportunity to give them income that's a real income as they pursue a post-secondary degree. Uh, I, was, I was so impressed with, with that part of the graduation, or what you call, is that a completion ceremony? In, at your school, um, that there was one of your students that was going on scholarship to Harvard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's a really it's, it's just a fascinating um, space to be in because I think you know historically um, programs like ours and, and schools like ours, folks uh, kind of thought it was for quote those kids. But the reality of it is is that our programs and our schools are for every kid. One of the things that was really interesting for us as we kind of navigated COVID several years back is that um, of our 42 programs here at EVIT, 38 were identified as essential services, and so we were fortunate enough to be able to stay open during COVID and provide that hands-on instruction that is desperately needed. And what was really fascinating about it is that the programs we're offering is really what kept America moving. And so I think because of that, that that mindset of its quote for those kids is shifting. Uh, we have students that, that come to EBIT that are going to Harvard, like you have said. We have students that are coming to EBIT that go straight and, and open their own business. Um, that's what the American dream is about. And I think CTEDs have a great vehicle to help propel that forward. And I think in the state of Arizona, we have a great opportunity to help support the workforce that's so desperately needed. Uh, Dr. Chad Wilson joining us, superintendent of the East Valley Institute of Technology is a, a CTED, Career Technical Education District. You are expanding some of your programs. I went down to the legislature when you were uh, when there was a bill being proposed that would allow you to offer two year degrees. So when kids graduate from high school, they leave your program with a certificate. If they want to go on and get further education to further their careers, you're now going to offer that, too. 
We are, and we're so grateful for the, the legislative support that we had and uh, the support of the governor for allowing us to, to kind of lean into this space. We talk all the time at EVIT that we change lives by loving our students and serving our communities. That's what we do. And when we talk to our business and industry partners, one of the things that they tell us is that the industry certifications are important to get individuals in the field, but ultimately some additional learning post high school adds value to them in their career trajectory. And what we find at EVIT, there's a lot of students that come here that for whatever reason, maybe haven't had the kind of success academically or in school that they have here. And so, you know, we have students that sometimes come to us not thinking that they that they may want to pursue an associate's or a bachelor degree, and they find out they, they have the ability to do that. It just might have been that, that how they were being taught or, or the environment that they were in weren't, weren't conducive to their success. So our thought process was, if we have students that are here that are having success, why can't we, you know, keep them and help shepherd them into that, that, that additional credentialing through the associate degree? Um, and so we're very grateful for the support that you and the legislators and the governor provided. I think we're in a really interesting time, uh, Mike, because I think CTE um, has a space that's growing, like I said. But I think we also have to be very careful that really at the end of the day, what matters most is the outcomes. And, you know, from EBIT's perspective, and I'll only speak for EBIT, um, the outcome that matters most is the, in- is the industry credential. That's the currency students need in order to take that next step. And so we constantly are having conversations internally about how how we can have our students, not only at the central campus, but our satellite campuses, persist in the programs and ultimately earn that industry certification so that those students really have that extra currency they need to add value, not only to their life, but to the lives of our communities and to our state. So which, so being the East Valley Institute of Technology, what area of the, of the valley, what areas do you cover? What school districts do, you, do feed your programs? So we feed, uh, we have students, uh, the Cave Creek Unified School District, all the way to Apache Junction, to Scottsdale, Gilbert Chandler, Mesa, Tempe, uh, J.L. Combs. So uh, the entire East Valley is part of the EVIT CTED. And so we have students from those uh, um, districts that attend our main campus, um, but we also have the satellite programs at our, at our um, partnering districts in which students provide, are, are able to get the CTE programming as well. And that's a really important piece. I mean, I, you know, every, every student is going to have a uniquely different need in their in their trajectory and for some students um, having the satellite opportunity is is more conducive to the need that they have and we want to support that but the overarching goal um, needs to continue to be whether it's a central campus or the satellite campus how can we get students to persist through the programs and earn the industry certification so that we can add the value back like I said not only to their life but to the to the life of the state that's the two things about this that I was so impressed with when I toured your campus and the number of times I've been there number one is the industry certification with all due respect to shop class, which I took all throughout high school, this isn't shop class. This isn't where they get to dabble in something. They actually are learning and getting a certification. So as soon as they leave high school, your EMT program, uh, cosmetology, um, and what you do in the culinary arts where, where kids are able to go work in their field. That's the other part of this is the connection to the industries because of who are leading these classes that these young people are leaving not only with credentials but usually with jobs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, we couldn't be who we are or who we expect ourselves to be without the industry partnerships um, on a number of different levels. They, they keep us current in what our students need to be learning to be productive in the workforce. But to your point, um, our students uh, leave with job offers um, more than they can handle if that's what they're interested in, because uh, our industries understand the product that we produce, but also our, our industries understand that the, the labor force is, 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 is getting tight. And so if they have access, 
access to relationships that help build capacity for them to help us, but to have students that they can offer jobs to. Um, it's a it's a it's a benefit not only to the institution, a benefit to the industry, and ultimately a benefit to the to the student. So um, this is my my thought. I want to see if you agree or disagree. Having the cooperation of the individual schools and the districts is imperative because we see, and it's not a bad thing that kids are driven toward college. It's about getting um, grants or getting uh, loans or filling out applications toward college, but not every kid is suited for that. Does there need to be a shift in some of the district schools of deciphering which kids are headed toward college and which would be more likely to be successful in your program? So I think that's a really interesting variable. I think that that our districts have to kind of wrestle with because I think the you know those of us in education I think are still in some cases stuck in a position that you know college is is the only option for all students and and that just really isn't the case. Um, college should be an option, an opportunity for any student that's interested in it, but there should also be opportunities and options for students that aren't. And kind of trying to figure out how to navigate that is a real challenge. Um, and it doesn't start at the high school; it starts at the at the middle schools, in my opinion, in terms of being able to start talking with students students about what does your four-year plan look like in high school? What does post-secondary look like for you? So that there's some mindful thought given to courses that students take once they get into high school. Um, we recognize that there are going to be students that will start a program and and find out that that's not what they're interested in. And, and thank goodness, so that's, that's part of the value of the programming. But we also are hopeful that we can begin creating a system that students are, are opting into programs that they genuinely have an interest in, not that just happens to be available. And through that interest helps grow them an opportunity, like I said, to to have a skill that they carry with them the rest of their life or to enter the workforce or to go to college but have a job that pays more than minimum wage because of the industry certification that they earned. Um, so, you know, it is a challenge. And, and I know our sending districts work hard to make that a reality, um, but it is a challenge. And I think, you know, as a state, the more that we can focus on having students in a very in, a, in an earlier age begin exploring what a career they might have interest in so interest in so that they're making purposeful decisions uh, once they get to high school i think the better the outcomes will become chad i love talking with you about this stuff i appreciate you coming on now and i wish you the best of luck Thank you. Can I tell one more plug that we're sure. doing, Mike? I don't sure. have time for it. So one of the things that we're also really excited about at the East Valley Institute of Technology, and we talk about this all the time, about it being able to lean in and help uh, uh, communities and help students. And you've helped with this, Mike, and I want to thank you for that. Our ability to have funding to build our foster residency home. Um, we believe that at the end of the day, there's a uh, you know, large number of students that are aging out of the foster system that really don't have kind of a year 13 plan, a post-high school plan. And for us to be able to build the residency here that allows those uh, students to come live and participate and CTE truly will change the trajectory of not only their life, but the life of their children, the life of their children's children. And when you start talking about how you change communities, that's how you do it. And so I wanted to thank you uh, personally for your help in making that a reality here at Even. Well, thanks, Chad. And I'm, I'm excited about that program, and I can't wait to uh, see the results. And uh, look forward to seeing you guys soon. Thanks. I appreciate it, Mike. All right. That's Dr. Chad Wilson from EVIT. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about the uh, reconnaissance balloons that we've been hearing about. How long are we actually tracking them? We'll do it in just a moment. Strong. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Nikki Haley is going to make a, is making an appearance as we speak. It's her first time since announcing a run for president. We'll have some commentary, let you hear a little bit of what she had to say later on this morning. Uh, U.S. tracked the China spy balloon from launch until uh, along its unusual path is the headline from the Washington Post. Um, this, these are the, where the national security questions and questions from the American people come in. I have two questions, um, and they kind of parallel. One is – why were we watching this from its launch? If we had no idea it existed, number one, if we had no reason to believe that it was um, something we, you know, if the weather balloons launch all the time. I don't know that people are tracking them. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But why were we tracking this from launch? Why did we not let people know about it until it had already gone over Canada and into the U.S.? And then if it was uh, this, it was capable of this immense tracking, why did we wait? There, you can't tell me that. That in traversing basically the entire United States, that there wasn't a place that it could have been shot down safely that wouldn't overland. Why did it have to go all the way across? I, I, I don't know the answer to those questions. The other line of question has to do with the other objects that have been shot down because there are people that are saying that um, it is um, that they say last three UFOs shot down likely weren't Chinese spy devices. So they don't know exactly what they are. They don't think that they're spy devices. They may be weather balloons. Then why are we shooting them down? But here is the most interesting thing um, about this. This is Karine Jean-Pierre reassuring people. And this reassurance is so weird. There is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent <laughs> takedowns. Again, there is no indication of aliens or terrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Wanted to make sure that the American people knew that, all of you knew that, uh, and it was important for us to say that from here because we've been hearing a lot about it. Um, I, I, I'm not... <laughs> I'm just, you know, I loved E.T., the movie, but I'm I'm just going to leave it there. Um, I, I don't know how long she went to school, um, but this is now her job to make sure we know it wasn't E.T. Um, it wasn't extraterrestrials. This is an ABC News report on the new information. U.S. officials tell ABC News the spy balloon, which was intended for surveillance, may have been inadvertently blown over the U.S. mainland by unusual weather conditions. According to the Washington Post, U.S. military and intelligence agencies have been tracking the balloon for nearly a week, even watching it as it lifted off from its home base near China, eventually taking an unexpected northern turn towards Alaska's Aleutian Islands, where it could have encountered strong winds that pushed it further south. However, another senior U.S. official is casting doubt on the report, telling ABC it sounds like the intelligence community is trying to save face. Yeah, so this is, obviously this is an overworse so encounter more and more devices, but it opens the door and asking questions of how secure are we? What are our enemies up to? Uh, what are we up to? And I, I think that it's a conversation that's going to continue on. In just a moment, one of my fears when our, about our conversations with immigration and the way we're handling things now is that the Americans' support for immigration into our country would wane. And there is an out, a study out that is showing that that is possibly becoming true. I'm going to talk a little bit about this in just a couple of moments. Moments. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, America's pro-immigration moment wanes. And so this is a Washington Post story. One of my main concerns about the way we are handling in this country, the morphing of the messaging of immigration, is that I believe it leads to people being upset about some of the things they see. And let me be a little bit more clear and specific. I am in favor of legal immigration and a robust legal immigration system. I believe in a guest worker program. When Americans have jobs that Americans aren't doing, I don't want to take jobs from Americans, listen to the show. I, I, I am not. That's not me at all. I am a. I am an American worker. I spent a, my whole life in the workforce as in construction. I didn't want to see anybody in America not have a job. But being in that world for as long as I have, I can tell you that we have a huge, desperate need for construction workers, uh, especially when it comes to residential construction. When it comes to the building of homes, we are way behind the demand in Arizona, and it's not going to get any easier. Anytime soon. There are some very valuable programs out there. Um that are uh, Build Your Future Arizona is one of them, that is uh, trying to entice young people to go into the construction world or people that want to change careers, whether they're in construction management or project management or estimating or in the field. There are great programs. But in the meantime, we have a workforce that is knocking at our door, and I would love to see us be able to do that. So at its foundation, I will tell you, I am very pro-immigration. That's my stance. But the way we message what's happening in America because we don't want to hurt feelings of people by labeling people, and I'm not necessarily going after woke. I'm going after common sense here, and that is we call everybody that crosses our border a migrant. Because we don't want to insult someone that's in the country illegal, we, illegally. We used to use the phrase, and this was a, an accepted phrase, and we all know the vernacular always changes and the style book changes for people in the media. But it used to be they were called just called illegals. And then it went from illegals to illegal aliens and from illegal aliens to illegal immigrants, then to undocumented immigrants, to undocumented migrants. And now everyone is called a migrant. And here's where I think this becomes a problem. I would believe that most Americans, if they sat and thought thought about it for a moment, would say they're pro-immigration. I know people that have come to this country legally, that have gone through the process of immigration to become citizens, and I don't know that the system's perfect. I'm just telling you, they've obeyed the American laws, they've fulfilled the American requirements, they've become American citizens. They deserve every right afforded to an American citizen, and I would say that most of us, the vast majority of us, you that are listening, the vast majority of the people in our society would embrace that. Whenever we see a naturalization ceremony where someone is swearing in as an American citizen, all of us stop and look at that. All of us admire that tenacity and that um, dedication to wanting to become one of this great melting pot. What we've done by calling everybody a migrant is we have diminished, we have kind of somehow diluted that migrant title. Um, when you say – and I have friends that say – I have friends that are immigrants themselves. I have many friends whose parents were immigrants, and they were brought here as children. And I have many friends that are first-generation Americans. 
There, there is a sense of pride in telling the story that my grandparents came here from wherever, and they came over and brought my parents with them, and I was born here. I'm the first generation born American. That's part of the American dream, and that is something that we – what we need to do, what we should be doing is we should be fostering that, telling stories of the American dream because according to this poll, people – want less immigration now. I would say to you that if you're lumping everything together, I would say that those people truly want less illegal immigration. So one of the policies, this parole program of the White House, there are people complaining in Haiti. And here's where I think this is where the line continues to get blurred and it's frustrating. There are families, American families, good American families. Uh, some of them uh, just want to have a child and aren't able to. Others want to be able to contribute to the world by taking a child out of a poverty-stricken situation and give them an opportunity to better life. Either way, families that are adopting um, are seeing problems now. If you go to Haiti, there is a program, a parole program, a migrant parole program that allows for a certain number, I think it's 35,000 Haitians to come into the country um, through this program. Well, there is one immigration office in Haiti. And it has been overwhelmed now with people that want this thirty want to be a part of this group, and families that have gone through the legal process of adopting children out of Haiti are having to wait in long, long lines because of this. Just like when we talk about our asylum program in America, I think we should be a land of asylum and refuge. I think we are. Again, Reagan called it the shining city on the hill, and every time I talk about this, that's the phrase that comes to mind for me, that when you need a safe haven, when you're in a desperate situation, when you are, your life is in danger, that America opens her arms. But what we have seen is people abusing the system. Either they know already that they are not eligible or the people that are advising them know that they are not eligible. They just know the right words to say to get in line. They're going to be told no. We know well over 50% of asylum claims are deemed false eventually. But the legitimate asylum seekers are having to wait in that same line. Here's another level of that. You've got families in America that are going to great trouble and great expense to adopt a child legally by American laws, and they are in a system that is gummed up by people in this nonsense. This is not the problem. The days of calling this a situation where it's xenophobic and racist, it is so old and tired. It is such an old and tired argument that we have to dispel it. We have to get rid of it already. This is about a failed system that was not would not working very well before this president took office. But there is also an acknowledgement that this president's policies have made this worse than it's ever been. In the end, it is about human beings. It is about people. But his policies are making it worse. Uh, yesterday, the story we talked about, remember every headline during the Trump administration was about separated families, how there were children being ripped out of the arms of their parents. And then very quietly, a story came out that I read yesterday that said, you know what? All of, most of those families, the vast majority of those families would separated. They haven't been reunited. So instead of us 
standing by our partisan political beliefs and shouting at the rooftops when an enemy does something wrong and whispering something when somebody on our side doesn't fix it. Why don't we all say this is an American issue? It's not Republican. It's not Democrat. We should be proud of the immigration system we have. We, sh- As Americans, we should have an immigration system that is the envy of the entire world because of so many people that want to come here. And instead, we are allowing the drug cartels to control the southern border of the United States. We all should be disappointed in that. We all should be angry. And this statistic that says Americans want less immigration is a byproduct of this failed policy. And I just hope we get it fixed sooner rather than later. Um, Corrine Jean-Pierre was asked a question and she made a statement that was so funny to me and laughable that I, I want you to hear it. She is talking about communication from the White House. Wait until you hear it. It's coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I don't envy a lot of people's jobs. I love what I do, and there are people that have jobs that I do not envy. If you work with snakes or in high places, I don't want your job. That's just kind of how I feel about things. And I laugh when people say absurd things, especially when they know they're saying absurd things. Um, But I don't envy the White House press secretary, as critical as I am of KJP, of Corrine Jean-Pierre. She was put between a rock and a hard place, and her response to this question, to me... Even she couldn't possibly keep a straight face. The um, the question is about, is the president an effective communicator? That's basically what they're talking about. Is, is the president an effective communicator? Is it the view of the president's communications team that he is equally adept in all settings in terms of communications? Or are there some that play to greater strengths, some where he probably isn't as strong, et cetera? I will tell you this. The president is the best communicator that we have in the White House. <laughs> I know you laughed. You know you laughed. I don't care what political party you're affiliated with. So one of two things here, either she said that knowing it was something she had to say because that's her job and it was absurd or or he is the best communicator in the White House and we're all in trouble. One or the other. He is not Ronald Reagan. Let's be honest. But where I think a lot of this funnels from where it comes from is the if you uh, look at the Super Bowl, the president did not do an interview. The White House refused to do an interview with uh, Fox News, with a Fox News reporter. I will tell you this. Um, Governor Hobbs of Arizona sat down with a Fox News reporter and sat down in the face of and, and, you know, I have my disagreements with with the governor and uh, we've had a couple of conversations. I interviewed her on two occasions. Um, I thought she should have debated and that was a big issue during the campaign. She made a conscious decision not to debate during her campaign. But now that she is the sitting governor in Arizona during Super Bowl week, she sat down with Fox News. Now, obviously, she is a staunch Democrat, not exactly on friendly terms with people over at Fox News, but she sat down and she talked about school choice and she talked about immigrants and busing immigrants after Ducey's program was started and how it's different. So she sat down, she, when figuratively speaking, went into the belly of the beast and had a conversation and she deserves credit for that. 
having that conversation, that's what you're supposed to do. If you're confident, and that's one of the things I like about a debate, and I'm doing a lot of it. If you're confident in where you stand, you can civilly lay out your positions, realizing that the best you can hope for in some is not to convert them to your way of thinking, but have them at least respect your opinion. The president of the United States... At, at the most watched event by far of the of the weekend, if not of the entire year, the Super Bowl, the president of the United States decided he wasn't going to sit down with Fox News. And the reason why that was important is because the football game aired on Fox. So people ask questions when you are not going to do that. And it's it, when you say, well, you won't talk to this group or you won't talk to that group. I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. Um, I'm not running for office, but if I ran for office, I would talk to those that oppose me. Now, if it devolved into a name calling, you know, uh, I had to face the music myself when I interviewed Carrie Lake, when I was asked by Clean Elections to do the interview. Um, I was surprised that they chose me. I was flattered, to be honest with you. I come on the air. I say I'm not a journalist. You know, I give my political opinions on the air. They were going to take some arrows for choosing me, but they had seen my interviews with candidates, including Governor Hobbs and including Carrie Lake and others, and I was fair in those interviews. I can separate myself, at least I believe I can. But after I was done doing the interview with uh, with Carrie, she faced the media. She got into a heated conversation with some people, uh, namely Bram Resnick uh, from Channel 12. And then I went out there and I faced the music and I faced the questions and I was asked questions by people that you know called me out and said, you said you're not a journalist. How do you think you did? And I answered the questions as best I can. I think I owed that to people. And if you've done something that you or you're in a position where you feel like it's not in your best interest to do that, it's one thing when you're a candidate. It's another thing when you're in a position of authority. Now, I'm not in a position of authority, but they had chosen me to do this interview. Clean Elections chose me to do this. So I had to go out there and talk to reporters. There was a fair chance that I was going to mess it up. I don't know that I did. They left me alone for the most part. I even faced Bram Resnick. And, you know, we have a, a, a comical relationship. We're on opposite ends of things many times. But I respect what the guy does, you know, for a living. And uh, we talked. We had a conversation for a moment. And if I can't stand up there and do that, then why, why was I chosen for the job anyway? Why would I have to be in a controlled space? So the American people have a right to ask, why would the president of the United States with the political disagreements if, uh, you know, and, and I will tell you that I think that at the same time, uh, former President Trump as president of United States, if, M- if NBC is doing this, sit down with an MSNBC reporter. Absolutely. If you can't sit down with people that are not necessarily on your side, then you have to rethink your ability and you have to improve. You're the leader of the free world. But for Corrine Jean-Pierre, with the history of what we've heard this president say, to say that he is the most effective communicator, the best communicator in the White House, um, was unnecessary. You could have said the president's a great communicator and leave it at that. You all know you don't become president of the United States. You don't work and be be a United States senator and the vice president. You don't have the resume that this man has without being able to communicate with people. But when you say he's the best communicator in the White House, you heard the laughter in the room. That's That's a sad commentary. At least I think it is.
Coming up just after 10 o'clock, we are going to speak with Dan Bickley from Arizona Sports because we have a new head coach. And I want to find out about our new head coach, Jonathan Gannon, who he is and what the experts in our sports world, and there is no bigger expert in the sports world in Arizona than Dan Bickley. What does Bickley think of this pick? It's all coming up right here next.